Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we break down the SAG Awards, the Batman hits theaters, and director Matt Reeves is our guest on the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 205 of Real Blend, a podcast that holds a grudge and never, <laughs> ever forgets. I've already forgotten show, what we're talking about. Uh, SAG has come and gone. The Batman, the Batman hits theaters and director <laughs> Matt Reeves is on the show for a very exclusive and very, very fun. <laughs> ah, we're off the rails already. I am Sean O'Connell. <laughs> Managing editor here at Cinema Blend joined as always. Wait, Sean, while you're while you're catching yourself, no, 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 no. This is this is good. I want to keep this in. I want to keep this in. Okay, Uh, keep going. So people have to understand. We do this podcast once a week. Yes, and 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 please, whoever's editing this, Jeff, leave this in. Um, We are on a text thread all day long, and like we're sending each other jokes and bits and all this stuff like that. And then Sean will just like come out the gate and with like something like, that we were laughing about like two days ago or something, and that, yeah. and it's so inside. But and I do it just to get just to get your guys' reactions to it. Really, this whole show is just for the three of us. So uh, anyway, I'm Sean O'Connell, managing editor here at Cinema Blend, joined as always by Kevin McCarthy of Fox Five in Washington D.C. Hi, Kev. How are you? Hey, Sean. How are you doing today? I was wondering. Uh, well, so first of all, we, we, you did gloss over this because we were laughing so hard. We have Matt yes. Reeves on our show today. <laughs> yes, um, yes, we do. Yes, and obviously we're all big fans, and we're going to get to that shortly. Um, but as you know, Cloverfield to Planet of the Apes and everything, um, we're just excited to have him on. And if you're at all into filmmaking um we get into some really cool stuff about vr and how he was directing it's it's awesome so enjoy the interview today and if you're not into filmmaking i also asked questions i don't know why you'd be listening to this show if you're not into filmmaking it's basically what we talk about that voice you heard is jake hamilton of fox 32 in chicago nobody told me it was white shirt today i didn't uh you went to complete well i mean that I feel like it kind of goes with the the theme of of today, which is Kevin and I on one side and Sean on the other. Yes. If you're friends with Ryan Reynolds, wear white. (laughs) You wear a white shirt. (laughs) And if you are not, wear wear the color I'm wearing. This is like a navy blue. To give perspective, uh, we had just we. uh, So we're recording this right after we just completed the uh, Adam Project junket. And I'll just use this opportunity to tease that we are going to have Sean Levy on the show again next week. Uh, He was on for Free Guy. It's an excellent conversation. um, And the movie has Ryan Reynolds and um, that'll be coming out next week. So we'll we'll get into that. We can call him friend of the show. Almost, Sean. Levy. Oh, 
Sean's awesome, man. And like, yeah. um, or, or as I call him, Rob. Um, but no, but Sean, Sean is, Sean is awesome. <laughs> the show is. really has turned into one giant inside joke. Like, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. you'll know when you hear the interview, which is yeah, you'll know very why. soon. Yeah. 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 And if you're watching us on YouTube uh, to see the wardrobe that we are sporting and and these two handsome gentlemen, uh, thank you for joining us. Please head down. Give us a like and a subscribe. Because we are over 6,000 subscribers and we are now climbing really, really fast. For audio listeners, if you want to join us in video form, head to youtube.com backslash Real Blend uh, podcast, Real Blend podcast, and join the fun. Of course, we're available all the different places where you get your audio podcast needs met. And I want to know if you guys have signed up for Real Blend Premium. If you think this show is off the rails, you can pay $5 a month for, for four more episodes <laughs> of pure insanity. Uh, forget the thing we're recording this week because we're down gabe gabe is off on vacation we're being joined by one of our really good friends jeff mccobb uh he has terrible internet so he might not pop in here um but gabe has a why, why doesn't cinema blend pay us. him more so that he can have better internet we do pay him a lot but he has really um debilitating uh uh, habits that keep him spending his money on, on things. <laughs> yes. His internet's so bad he can't even defend himself. Right. Yes, exactly. He chooses also, to spend on other things besides uh, internet. And for people who are longtime listeners to our show, Jeff is, has had a presence on this show, whether you know it or not. Uh, Jeff Very is true. actually in the room for my Ryan John or for our Ryan Johnson uh, Real Blend interview for Knives Out. Jeff recorded that. Um, so Jeff has been Jeff. Jeff's ingrained in our show if you haven't listened time, to the ryan johnson interview it's available on uh wherever you get your podcasts one time uh when we were in los angeles jeff was on a, as a guest but i forget what we talked about and i forget what episode yeah. it was he did join yeah. us and yes. he came to he came to the uh you, jeff he came to tarantino right yeah oh uh, yeah uh, yeah I've, I've been around i've been let's, around let's let's just say while i can chime in that uh i love you guys happy to be here Hey, Je- Jeff, you, Jeff, I was just curious if you ever considered um, adding the word salad to your to your name. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. Jeff salad. Uh, comple- oh my no, God. Jeff, completely Ma- original. Macabre salad. <laughs> you, oh you, you ever had Cobb salad? All right. Well, I'm going to follow oh up that God. gem with this. Uh, Matt Reeves is joining the show Jesus to talk Christ. about his blockbuster film, The Batman. Love uh, we circled we circled Matt uh, as a want to get on the show guest. Uh, right when his name was attached to the project. And so we want to thank the people at Warner Brothers for helping us pull this off. Always helping uh, us pull it off. of. Yeah, they're terrific to this show. They're really, really supportive. And um, and they got us Matt Reeves. So without further ado, Matt Reeves on the Real Blend podcast talking about the Batman. There has always been a really interesting paradox uh, pertaining to Batman for me. And I think this is one of the first movies to really a- attack it. And I wanted to get your opinion on it because I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteed that you thought about it, whether Batman exists uh, because Gotham has so many colorful villains or whether the villains flock to Gotham because Batman exists. Oh, well, you know, in my sort of deep dive at the beginning, before I wrote, I just, I read so many comics. And I think that the thing that stuck out to me, the, 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 the vein um, that, sort of resonated the most to me was the idea that it's the appearance of this vigilante who's masked, who gets called the Batman that inspires the rogues gallery because of, you know, he, they're kind of a response to him. And so right. in my view, I mean, that, that's in a lot of the comics. I didn't make that up. That's actually in a number sure. of the comics. And to me, the thing that made sense was that what Batman is doing 
is really Bruce's reaction to the trauma of his childhood in a way where, you know, you think of like a superhero movie and you say, oh, well, somebody's out there trying to do something good for the city. And while that's true, especially in this movie, the notion is that as he begins, it really is, it's the only way he can make sense of his life. You know, he can't get over what happened. And so he's kind of driven in a way that doesn't really make sense, to be honest. It's a kind of crazy mission that he goes on and it's a compulsion. You know, he, he sort of loses himself. He's got, um, you know, when you're masked, you can kind of lose yourself and there's an individuation. And I did a lot of reading about masks and the idea of tapping into the shadow side. And I think he's not, he would probably tell you he was doing it to improve the city, but the degree to which it's personal um, is beyond, I think, even his understanding at this point, what's driving him and how close he comes to the line. You know, one of the reasons that I chose the Riddler in this story, aside from the fact that I was thinking of serial killers that were inspired from like, you know, the long Halloween, the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale comic. I just wanted to do a story like that. And then mm. that made me think of the Zodiac, but it wasn't just that. It was also the way in which they were two sides of the same coin, you know, in mm. a way the Riddler doesn't have a problem with that line. He crosses it, but Batman comes dangerously close to crossing that mm. line. And it's because he's not fully in control. And I think that that, that keeps it very um, active. But anyway, longest answer ever to say, in my view, <laughs> uh, chicken and egg, Batman comes first. Wow. Very cool. Thank you. You know, you know Matt, as we told you, this is a film podcast. So our entire audience loves filmmaking and, and and how scenes are done and i wanted to take a deep dive with you about the penguin and batman car chase because okay, cool. it is an incredible scene i know earlier we talked a little bit about um the practical effects that you used for the jump of the batmobile into the yes. fire but the shots in that particular sequence especially even when like colin's like i got you i got you and it's like that frantic shot and the way yes. greg set up that camera was incredible can you walk us through the practical nature of that sequence because it is an incredible scene and for our audience talk about the practical effects in terms of the batmobile going through the fire because sure. it's nuts well i mean you know the way that I like to work as I like to board as much as I possibly can. And in this particular case, you know, this is the first movie where James Chinlin designed the sets in 3D. And so before they were ever built, I could put VR glasses on and we could walk into the sets. So we walked through those sets and I was like, this is incredible because I could read through the scenes and we could say, oh, you know what? This set doesn't quite work because of this. Can you make this subtle change? And then to just be able to be in that Gothic world that he was creating, I was realizing, wait, we should, I could shot make here. And so in prep, I was able to get, put the lenses on. So Greg, you know, tested all these lenses and I, I said, I wanted to shoot the movie anamorphic and we had shot, let me in anamorphic. And I wanted to use that style. And we wanted to bring in this level of sort of texture and, and visceral grit and visual grit. And Greg deliberately sought out the most technically flawed anamorphic lenses you could possibly have. Because I was really obsessed with um, the kind of 70s filmmaking that was kind of like in the vein of this, 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 the tone that I thought sort of was our movie that was kind of like, you know, the French Connection or like uh, Clute, like these neo-noir films and they were, you know, that were shot, you know, in many cases anamorphic. And those lenses of that, at that time were, they were rough. They did not, you know, the, the whole idea was to get the widescreen experience, but in order to do that, the elements came together in a way that there were a lot of really, really beautiful imperfections. And so we wanted to pull as much of that in as possible. And once we kind of tested the range of lenses, I had them take 
those focal lengths designed to those lenses. Like we had one, you know, we didn't have an 80 or an 85. We had an 88 because there was something wrong with it. And the, 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 literally the camera house said to us, you don't want these lenses. And we were like, yeah, yeah, no, we do. We like these lenses. And, um, you know, Greg is really a master at all that because he's really, I remember when we first met that I was talking to him about a shot that he um, had done in Bright Star, which I'd seen. And he was like going, oh, well, in that one, I had a toilet um, paper holder and I was holding the lens elements and he was getting, there's an incredible shot where you see some needlepoint and the thread and it's this beautiful macro shot. And I asked him about it because I was obsessed about it. I, I'm obsessed with macro shots. And he said, yeah, yeah, well, that one wasn't really a lens as much as it was me holding the elements and a, a toilet paper holder. So we were doing all that. And then once I had those sort of that list of, of lenses that we liked, um, we brought them into VR and then I could go in with an operator who knew how to use that. And I could say, okay, put on the 88 or put on the 44. And then I could go and shot make. So the first thing I did when we were doing the um, Batmobile chase was I had Rob Alonso, who was our stunt coordinator. Um, I said, here's what I need to know. I said, I want to know everywhere we could possibly put a hard mount. Where can I put the camera on this car? And he took me through every single possible place. And we took, we had scanned in the route and we could play on a kind of um, loop what the path of the Batmobile was. And I could look at the shots in VR before we ever shot them. And I set all of these shots basically beforehand. And we made this crazy storyboard that were made of screen grabs from VR, <laughs> from the lenses that we had found. And, oh and so it was, a, it was an incredibly involved process. And then, um, we, then we did had, 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 you know, Greg sent his team to do R and D and all of this. And they were like, wow, if we use a really small body, we can actually get a camera here. And we had, so we had a whole palette of places we could put the camera and we put it everywhere. I wanted it to be yeah. a practical thing that felt like um, a 70s chase, like like the French Connection or Bullet. I wanted hard mounts because when the car shakes, I wanted the camera to shake and I wanted it to feel solid and locked to it. And so mm -hmm. we found all those shots. And then, you know, one of them was like that, the one in particular you're talking about with the upside down. I was like, well, this all, I'm into this very Hitchcockian point of view of putting the camera in the subjective point of view of the character so you can put the audience into that experience. And so I thought it would be great at the end of all this kind of propulsive French connection sort of craziness to suddenly be in the penguin's point of view as he's lying upside down as you have this kind of mythic appearance of Batman sort of with fire raging behind him. And, and all of that was found in, in VR. And then we just went out and shot it. So it was, a, and then Greg wanted to do stuff to make it messier still. He'd say like, gee, if I put this um, filter of silicone on and we let the lens get wet, like then the lens will get wet. And we just, we wanted this thing to be so visceral. And I think, you know, I have to say that it was it was an incredible team that put together, like I said, Dom Tui earlier, when I said I wanted to jump the Batmobile through fire, he said, that doesn't have to be CG, we'll do it. And we did that. And so that shot you're talking about with Colin, that is a shot. So there's a shot you can do that's kind of a 50-50 where you take the camera and you put a mount off and you bring it off sideways so that you can see half of the frame is the driver and the other half is what what's behind him. So we looked at that shot in VR and I was like, this is what, because I always wanted to have that feeling you were with them. And so I said, okay, mm. so when those trucks flip, I think it'd be great to actually see Colin. So you never have the sense that we put him in some process thing. So that actually is Colin giving that performance in that moment when the trucks are falling. So when he goes like, I got you, I got you. Like that was just 
gold. That was a take. He's I'm back somewhere else. They're on a Is, that, is that a one shot kind of take? Is it, that, that like was a, dude, a, you've got to nail this? That is a one shot take because do you're doing a thing where you're flipping a truck and you've got the, you're, you know, you're doing explosives and you do all this wow. stuff. And I'm talking to Colin in an earwig and I'm looking at stuff on a monitor. They're out there in the freezing cold and I'm back on the stage because we're doing this in such a way that that scene's being shot after I'm shooting other scenes on the stage because it has to be shot at night outside. Mm -hmm. So they're outside and I, so my day is like double long and I'm there talking to Colin over, over, he's got an earwig and he's driving, he's in their car and, 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 I, and he's driving the car in that scene, the camera's in that position. They've got everything in place and we're talking about that moment. And I said, look, this whole thing is about snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. I want to see you connect to that thing. And he just launched into that take and I was dying laughing. And that's the one that, you know, is in the movie. We did, I think we did maybe one other take, but yes, there was, all of that stuff was super limited. And and the, the point was to make sure that everything felt as real as possible, as practical as possible. And in those places where it is CG, because there is CG stuff, it was all done from the point of view as if you could only do it with a camera. So there, I never break, and I'd started this you know, back on Cloverfield, but I did it all through the Apes films. I never do a CG shot where you break the laws of reality, meaning, You'll never see a shot from me where the camera is a bullet or something like that mm -hmm. because, or like moves through walls because then you start going, oh, that must be a CG shot. I want to do something yeah. as if you only have the technology that would have been available if you were shooting it practically, even though in some cases the shots are full CG. I mean, the work that Weta did, so Weta, who did the Apes films with me, they did this sequence. And I have to say, the work they did is astonishing. They added all of the rain. Like we did wet downs, but they added all of the rain. They did the, all the stuff with the um, the stuff with the trucks falling on him and all that kind of stuff. The, the work they did was astonishing. And I'm not surprised because they're an incredible, incredible group. But it was, uh, that, that, was the, that, that was an army that helped us to pull off that scene. And um, the, really some of the best technicians and artists in the world. And, and it, was a, it was really thrilling to see it come together. My favorite scene in the movie. So thank you oh, for so doing cool. that. Breaking that down. That was awesome. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Matt, could you could you come on our show every week? Because you're kind of the perfect <laughs> guest for this show. So we'll just have to find week, a time. I don't know. I mean, uh, if we can find we'll a good time. It work. We have no lives. Yeah. So you're perfectly, you're perfectly fine. You know, Matt, as, as much as you do in this movie that I love, there's something that you don't do, which I also love, which is uh, not killing time, showing us the, the murder of uh, of the Waynes. Oh, yeah. Um, and clearly we've seen it a thousand times before. How many different ways can we see pearls drop in slow motion? There you go. So to what degree do you just go, look, we don't need to see that again. And is there any part of you that goes, but like, I want to do my take on it. Like I want, I want my shot. Did not want to touch it. No, absolutely right. I mean, mm. the thing about it is, is that look, it's been done brilliantly and, and mm -hmm. you know, you can't come, here's the thing. You come into a Batman movie with a, a level of excitement and a level of terror and the terror is there have been great movies and you're entering into a history that goes back more than 80 years into the comics. Like people have their version of Batman in their heads. They're going to compare your version to that. You're really just a custodian for a character. Someday somebody else will get the mantle and they will take Batman and they will do what they think is right with Batman. And so you're terrified. And for me, one of the things that was very clear, I was like, well, we can't do that again. Like that just didn't seem like the thing to do. What I wanted to do though is I wanted to find a way to recontextualize his origins. I wanted to touch on the origins without seeing the origin tale. And so I wanted to take Batman and make him be 
um, an early days Batman, an imperfect Batman, and a Batman who was more driven by his shadow side than he even knew. Like if, if you were to ask people about Batman, they would say like, oh, he's trying to fight to make the city a better place because of what happened to him as a kid. But truth be told, he doesn't have a choice at this stage. At this stage, he's doing it um, because it's the only way he can think to make meaning of his life. It's the only way he can cope. He's sort of um, compelled to do it. It's like an addiction. And so he goes out night at night. It's a kind of crazy thing to do, right? He's taking the law into his own hands and he's going out and he's, he's revisiting the death of his parents in a certain way every single night. And so obviously he's not completely in control. And so I wanted him in this story to start a bit out of control, to be moving in a mode of vengeance and have the story be an awakening for him. And the way in which I wanted to touch on the origins is that I wanted the Riddler to just be describing the history of Gotham and that that history, it would have to touch on the Waynes because the Waynes mm -hmm. are, the are, are you know, one of the founding families of Gotham. And I thought, you know, what's interesting is, in a way, Batman, Bruce, is kind of stunted. He's stuck at that time of being 10. There are certain ways. His image of his parents is the image of a 10-year-old. He idealizes them. He, he see, and, and this, is, this fight is in some way for them, and he'll never be able to bring them back. But there's, there's no human being that could live up to the image that he's created from those 10-year-old eyes. And I wanted this story to shatter that. I wanted him to start to see the grays. I wanted him to see his origins and understand that his parents um, were human and flawed um, and and still the parents that he loved, but but kind of take him and shake him to his core so that he could even question the nature of what he was doing at that moment. Was it even the right thing to be doing to be Batman? So in that way, I wanted to get into the origins, but I didn't want to see that scene. I didn't want to go into Crime Alley and see the pearls on cement. It had been done. Fair enough. Uh, Matt, I, one of the things I love the most about this movie is that, of course, we've absorbed all the other Batman films the way that you have, but there are, there are so many times throughout the course of this movie where I felt like I was seeing something about Batman that I hadn't seen before, mm, cool. which is pretty remarkable. And in this one, uh, you make a decision to, to put your camera in his point of view, and we feel the eyes of the police staring at him yeah. uh, and not trusting him, yes. right? And, and for the first time ever... Uh, it made me feel uncomfortable and really start to question why Bruce does this. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and so can you talk about like maybe tapping into the paranoia that exists in the other people around Batman? Like, again, for the first time, I actually felt like, oh, yeah, it's really weird that this guy's doing this. That's so cool. No, that's exactly right. It's funny. That's the first scene we shot, too. Like we shot we started. That's the first time, you know, that I saw on, you know, as we were filming Rob in the bat suit and everybody's staring at him like, what are you doing here? And that conception, you know, here's the thing. When you try to do, I wanted to ground this thing and I thought, okay, I want to do the world's greatest detective version of this character. I want him to be brought into this sort of crime story, but I wanted it to seem real. And so the idea that you would be in a room with a bunch of forensic cops and beat cops and all these people, there'd been the murder of this high profile figure like the mayor and a guy walks in in a cowl with a cape, yeah. that's a little yeah. insane, right? Like you'd be like, yeah. what is this guy doing? And so I thought, you know, in this iteration, because it's the early days, the only person, the only person on the GCPD who trusts Batman is Gordon. And Gordon is taking this crazy leap because he senses somehow that they have this connection. And there was an origin story actually that I had written into the script at one point, but there wasn't room ultimately. But my feeling is that, that even Gordon, as when you look at year one, the idea is that there's an event that sort of 
made Gordon realize, oh, this is a guy I think I might be able to trust. But that meant that when Gordon makes the crazy leap, I mean, it's not just Batman's sort of uncomfortable decision to be brought into this thing. It's Gordon's move. And Gordon is basically doing something insane. He's bringing a masked vigilante, a guy who's outside the law, a guy who's wanted by the law into this crime scene because this murderer is leaving correspondence to the Batman. And he has a feeling that this guy has some instinctive ability that might be able to unlock what that's about and see what that is. And so that meant the idea of walking through that gauntlet of having all those cops looking at you with utter contempt and rage, like, oh, you, oh, okay. And because for multiple reasons, I mean, the idea that he is acting outside of the law, but also the idea that he is um, clearly in some way trying to root out corruption. And and obviously this is a very corrupt police force in Gotham. And so there, there, are, there are myriad reasons why they would not trust this guy, why they'd hate this guy, why they'd love to bring him out behind a dumpster somewhere and give him a, you know, a, a, a beating. Um, and so the, the fun of that was to put the camera in Batman's shoes and to see what it would look like. And what was so interesting when I was talking to Rob about doing that scene, because I was like, okay, we're going to do a crime scene. You're going to walk in and it's going to be like, it's a serial killer scene, except you're wearing a cowl and a cape really weird. And so to try and find the real way to do that, what was so great is Rob was like, I knew that, that, um, that Jeffrey had to bring him in, that Gordon had to be the reason he was there and that everyone would be looking at him with contempt. And I love the guy, the forensic guy who's got the flashlight and he's like, you know, oh, is all this blood from his head? And he goes, no. And he tries to come over to show the hand and he kind of walks into this wall that is Batman. He's kind of like awkward. He's like, uh, uh, excuse me. And like that the humor would come from the idea of how weird this was. And yeah, yeah. so, you know, what we talked, what I talked about with Rob was he was like, you know, I'm so embarrassed as Batman to be walking in my suit and be looked at by these guys. The whole point of the suit is that I'm in the shadows. So now I'm being looked at by these guys. I don't want to be looked at by these guys. He goes, so I think I've got to block them out. And he said, I think the way to do that is I think I come into this scene and I'm feeling all that and I block it out and I'm kind of like a shaman. I walk in and I, he, he talked about it almost as if he had a kind of spiritual connection to this idea of the crime, like that he was so he had to block something out with such sort of force that his he's kind of very instinctual and connected to detail. And so instead of looking at their faces, he's only focusing on the details. And so that's the way he moved. That actually determined the way he spoke and moved in the scene. And that was the first scene we were shooting with him wow. as Batman. So that was part of the exploration of like, how do we take this guy and make him a ghost in the scene? And so that was all part of the exploration. Oh, that's incredible so i love that stuff um you know matt i, I want to get your perspective on this because i found this i love this story uh, and, and uh rob's talked about this before he was shooting tenant um and he he basically lied to nolan had to leave the yeah. set on the day to go do his screen test for batman and nolan knew exactly where he was going before he, i think rob was like i had a family emergency but he was nolan's like no you're going to the batman audition i, mean, so I think I warner brothers had to like <laughs> There's such a history there that I think there's no way, and obviously Tenet was a Warner Brothers movie, so it's not like they're like, oh, gee, you know what? If Chris finds out, that would probably be pretty bad if we hadn't told him. <laughs> so obviously Rob was in an awkward position, but I'm sure that the way he found out was probably from from Warner Brothers. You know, they had they had they needed to let him know because you don't want to go behind Chris Nolan's back. So you know, especially yeah. since they were just about to make this movie together. So yeah, so I sorry I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Oh no no that was that was the question was more of like your perspective like when he came to screen test for you uh, you you knew he was shooting Tenet. So like totally. like the, 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 had you and Nolan communicated at all about about your Batman film and his Batman you know films what? We and kind of like. We, 
No, we hadn't. I mean, I'm a huge admirer. He's an incredible filmmaker. I, I, I love Chris Nolan. Um, and, I, you know, to be honest, we don't, we don't really know each other. I just know his work and, and, um, and I have great admiration for it. And, um, you know, obviously I was, when I think about the, the when I talk about the terror um, I talk I, I, that you have in approaching a Batman movie, a huge part of that, I mean, certainly it's because of, uh, of Burton and the history of things, but also for me, it's also very much because of Chris Nolan. I mean, he, you know, he had a, a high bar, you know, to try to clear, to try to come up to, to try to even come close to meeting. I mean, I think that the Dark Knight is, is an incredible film and I was haunted by it and by, by Heath Ledger's performance and just the conception of that version of that character. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was aware that he was doing Tenet and I thought that was really cool. In fact, I was a little, you know, I just, I wrote this with, let me tell you actually how, how, how it really affected me. I wrote the story. I wrote this script with Rob in mind. I wanted him to be my Batman. I had no idea if he was going to be Batman. And when it was announced that he was cast by Chris in Tenet, I was devastated because I was convinced that if he was going to choose, because he'd been doing all of these, um, these, these art films. And he'd been working with all these interesting filmmakers. One of them, a really good close time. friend of mine, oh. good time. And he did, oh. um, lost city of Z with my friend, James Gray, who's one of my best friends. And I was like, you know, he might only, if he's going to do a blockbuster, will it be Batman? And, and would he do more than one? And so when he did, when he's doing a blockbuster with like one of the definitive Batman filmmakers, I thought, okay, so there goes that he's not going to want to be oh. Batman. I had no clue, yeah. you know? And so it was yeah. really exciting when, you know, my partner Dylan happened to have a general meeting and I asked him kind of like on the sly, I said, look, you got a general meeting, but we're writing this for him. Like, this is what, it, you know, I, if he doesn't want to do it, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Dylan was like, I'll, I'll kind of feel it out. I'll just kind of see how it goes. And what was cool was Chris brought it. I mean, I'm sorry, that was that uh, Rob brought it up. And so when Rob brought it up, Dylan was like, I think we might have a shot. He seems like he might be into Batman. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. So I thought that there was a chance. So that was one of those things where it was a really crazy thing where he was doing the screen test in that time. And in my mind, there was no question that Rob was going to blow it out, you know, and, and we were just going to do that. But you have to do it because they've all done it, right? Like you do the screen test, you put him in the suit, you do that whole thing. But knowing that he was coming and sneaking away from Tenet to do that was, there was a particular <laughs> vibe to that. That was kind of cool. That's awesome. Matt, cool. I'm really glad that we were just talking about Christopher Nolan because whenever you direct a Batman film, whenever there's a new Batman film coming out, we as fans automatically, we really want to know what Tim Burton thinks. We want to know what Christopher Nolan totally. thinks. We want to know what Zack Snyder thinks. Yeah. Because you're associated with this franchise forever. So, yeah. so as a director, when you decide you that you're going to jump Joel into this too, world. Yes, Joel, of course, of course, of course. Yes, yes. Um, to what degree do you have to accept that if you're going to dive into the world of Batman, this isn't just one or two years of your life. It's not 10 years of your life. It is the rest of your life because yeah. from here on out, when someone else takes over Batman, yes. they're going to want to know, well, what does Matt Reeves think? Like you have to accept you will be asked. Or about they're going to say, oh my the God, he was the life. one who messed it up. Like no matter what you do, you're part of a lineage, <laughs> no right? No one's saying that. I promise you no one's saying I know that. you're not, but what I'm saying is yeah. when you're entering, you're going like, look, this is some serious stuff because whether you like it or not, you know, if this was a flame out, it is the most high profile flame out. You're doing it mm. with a character that's been around for over mm. 80 years with movies that people love with a character that means so much to everyone. I mean, like, you know, I would tell you when I was writing, I would see people suddenly you start, you know, you start focusing on different things, depending on the thing that you're doing. I know when I'm editing, I start thinking about cutting. And when I'm, th you know, when we're mixing, I start thinking about sound, you become attuned to these things. When I was writing, I was noticing that when I walked down the street, everyone seemed to have 
a, a Batman baseball cap on or like somebody with a baby Batman onesie and you go like, uh oh, this is trouble. There are too many people <laughs> invested in this. It's not like you can just do this and then, you know, hope people don't notice. There are Nolan movies in which like the Batman symbol is just scattered like before he ever did Batman Begins. I think there's one in Following, following and yeah. I think one in Memento. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. like even in like previous Nolan movies, there's Batman symbols in there. What was he doing? <laughs> Um, yeah, you, you know, didn't see any, you didn't see any apes onesies when you were looking around, when you're looking you know, the apes onesies, they're Caesar. few and far between, you know, I, it's like, I, I love that franchise and those movies. Um, and they're, you know, they have some great fans, but Batman is another thing, you know, Batman is like, that goes way, way back. And no, I don't think I saw any Caesar onesies. Um, so I would buy that. I would buy a Caesar onesie. I totally would. I'm not saying I think it's right, but I yeah, do yeah. think, uh, you know, that it's, uh, you're aware of it when you get into it and you think, you know, it's a cool idea to think that somebody, look, that's the cool thing. You get to be a custodian for a while of this character who's so beloved and you, you got to give it your all. You have to do that. And the idea that someday that might be something that somebody, some future director is going to look back at and go like, oh yeah. You know, Matt was one of the people who did it, and I I admired this part, but I got to find a way to make it my own. I mean, that mm. was the thing. The challenge is that you have to find a way to make it different from what everybody else mm. did. It couldn't be like everybody else's that had done it yet. It had to be, you know, my version of it, and that that's scary. That's really scary because you could do that and go like, hey, yeah, it's different, and we don't like it. <laughs> we have one minute left. I have to geek out with you before you go because I think one of the best shots in the whole film is that dark hallway, the one as he's fighting and oh, the cool. gunfire is lighting him up. It's so freaking awesome. Can you talk about real fast how you lit that, how you shot that? Is it an sure. actual one And Okay, it's not an actual one. I'll, first of all, I can tell you that the genesis of it, I wrote it that way in the script. And I was, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of fascinated with that idea because it was something that I actually did in war with a CG character, right? So the soldier comes in into the tunnels and the and when they're looking for Caesar and Rocket attacks this guy and, you, he, and the, the scene is lit by these muzzle flashes and it's a very brief scene. And I thought, well, what if we take that? Because in this story, you know that Batman can see into the night and that he's wearing these contact lenses. And I thought, oh, this would be interesting. How is he going to save Selina? I thought, well, what if he kills the power? So the only one who can see is Batman. And how do we know that? That will be in this point of view. And the only way we'll know is that they're taking shots at this guy coming like a horror figure. And the only time you can see where he is, is that each time one of the muzzle flashes goes off, you'll see him getting closer and closer and beating somebody. And then it goes black and in and out and in and out. So this was my conception for it. And when I was talking to Rob Alonzo, who, you know, was my, my, my stunt coordinator and he did second unit and he's awesome. He's actually, he's really responsible for the fighting style because he was a fighter himself. And so when I wanted to get into the psychology of the character, I talked a lot to Rob about what I wanted and how, you know, it had to come from character. So I was saying, you know, in this scene, I want to do this. And what I had thought, because I was using my same VFX super from uh, the Apes movies, Dan Lemon, and I knew enough about how this works to know that I could take a CG Batman and have them all shooting at a CG Batman and do all of that. And I thought, okay, so so I could do this the way I did Rocket. We could do mocap. And I thought I would do, I thought I was going to do it just like apes. And what was so interesting is Rob Alonzo goes, no, no, we don't need to do that. So he goes, goes, we could do it all for real. And I was like, you're kidding me. He goes, yeah. He goes, we'd have to break up that shot into pieces. Like I wanted to do it in one piece and just feel him coming out of the elevator, getting closer, 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 closer. And he said, but I can do it. I think I can do this for real. And so he, we did it for real. <laughs> he got, he got the guys to train and they were really careful with those guns. And these were like, you know, the absolute best um, 
sort of what they do. And what you're actually seeing is a scene that was lit with the muzzle flashes. And it was, I can tell you it was broken into three shots. And, um, and we broke them, you know, we broke them into these little, you know, these little sections. And so one thing had to go. The other whole thing was very carefully choreographed. And we had the whole thing planned out. And then we just kept doing each piece until the piece worked. And once we had the piece worked, we said, okay, that's piece one. Now piece two, now piece three. And then Dan Lemon took it and they did some adjustments so that we could get, you know, the bullets as they ping off of the sides of the building. I mean, the sides of the entire interior and um, as, they, as they ping off of Rob's chest and all of that. But we did do it practically. Damn. Wow. Damn. That's awesome. Right. That shot is so badass. Oh, cool. So That's one of those things I have to say that when we tested the movie, you know, you have, I was terrified because I thought, oh my God, we're doing this detective story and people want to see a Batman movie. What if they come to the movie and they go like, why did you do this? We want Batman. And what was so cool was that that part of the movie, the, the, the detective part, the audience loved. I was terrified. I thought at that point, by the way, the movie was much longer than it is now. It was way over three hours. And I thought, this is suicide. But what was super exciting was not only were those scenes resonating, the detective stuff, but when the Batmobile chase happened, when all that stuff, people loved Batman, man, and they erupted. And that particular scene, when Batman came out of that elevator and all that stuff happened, the crowd went wild. And I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's gonna work. Um, we are awesome. out of time completely, and we would love to keep talking to you forever. So, all um, right, well, we'll, we'll we figure out the running time. I just I'll need some oatmeal, but it's gonna be good. <laughs> well, we record on Wednesdays, so we'll meet you back here next week. Is that okay? That yeah. won't work. I'm sorry, ah, <laughs> Matt. This was a blast. You Thank you so much for doing all the thing. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It was fun. All right, as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, we thank Warner Brothers very much for setting this up. We thank Matt Reeves for coming on the show and talking about the Batman. And it's something we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks because we avoided some spoilers. Uh, I did get in a really good question for an answer about um, a cameo character uh, that I am keeping out. And we will run out on Cinema Blend shortly after the movie is out. I've realized in doing um, we did a spoiler free uh, review of the Batman, and if you mention that Robert Pattinson is in the movie, uh, people think it's a spoiler. <laughs> it's always it's such an interesting thing because all Batman of us, movie? yeah, we always we always post yeah, our interviews. The three of us we post our interviews in advance, and I don't think any of us really have any kind of a reputation for posting spoilers. But I'm always yeah. amazed at two things: one, the small insignificant detail people will tag as a spoiler. Sure. And then also this attitude of like those people who who classify those small insignificant details as spoilers are also the first people to go eat up every Batman video that comes up on the Internet. Like it's just sure. like whenever I want to avoid like a, a, a movie, you know, spoilers for a movie coming out, I tend to try to mute stuff on my on Twitter. I try well, to avoid social media. I don't actively go on YouTube and watch other people's videos about that topic. So I don't understand I this use, idea. I'll use Spider-Man No Way Home as a recent example, because you guys remember I got sick and I was not able to make it to the premiere. So I had a window of like four days where sure. people had seen it and I needed to avoid it. Like the last thing I would do is click on someone's interview package. Right. Just for fear that anything would get out, you know, because where it's. Someone Different, would mention a, a key detail. Yeah, like they like and sure, like maybe something that's that's and we've talked about this on the show. So maybe something that's not a spoiler to me is a spoiler to you. OK, then don't click on my video. Yeah, like oh, like avoid it. Like like watch the movie first and then go do a deep dive. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a spoiler alert. Matt Reeves directed the Batman. Yeah. Just, also, sorry, sorry, everybody. The Batman is in the Batman. Kevin, Huge why spoiler. would you oh, come oh, on? Gosh, I, mean, I, I don't know why you just on our that. show. 
talking about I guess we, Batman. We, we spoiled that. Sorry, uh, guys. You made it this far. All right, let's get to box office predictions for this movie, um, which is, I think, really difficult to land on mm-hmm. for this reason. It is. One, it's 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 highly anticipated, and the the recent performances of uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and also Uncharted, which um, even I think the studio would tell you overperformed yeah. uh, yep. by their expectations, proved that people... If there's a movie in theaters that they really do want to go see, they are willing to come. Now, this is a three hour movie, sure. which we talk about all the time, cuts into the number of different times that you could air it or screen it. Um, but I wonder if these multiple multiple screen, you know, multiplex 20, 25 screen theaters are going to have it on on almost every screen possible. Oh, yeah. You know, it's the only it's uh, the only thing that's big. I mean, Uncharted already had its uh, solid two weekends. I mean, obviously, yeah. And one of the cool things about Uncharted was that it really showed that Holland is a star outside of Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, but I mean, I guess you could argue Uncharted was a big game. So people would would. Yeah, would, but I don't think would, the average person would, knows that. Right. But it made a lot of money. And like Holland obviously had the number one, number three film uh, in the first weekend. Um, but with Batman, Batman's interesting to me because and we'll dive into this in our review. This is a very dark film. This is not for kids whatsoever, um, mm-hmm. I, in my personal opinion. And I think. That and I'm not saying you can't take your kids to see it, but I'm just saying it's not really a movie that like Spider-Man No Way Home, even, uh, oh, even yeah. though it's dark, there's definitely a kid friend, a kid or young, older kid friendly aspect to that sure. film, even though it deals sure. with dark territory. Um, Batman is strictly basically seven and Zodiac with Batman in it. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, and I don't know how that's going to play with kids or repeat viewings with of the film. Um, but box office is fascinating because we see tracking come out way early. Um, sometimes I saw tracking for this movie that was like at 125 million or whatever it was for the opening weekend. And, you know, and then we've kind of gone back and forth in the text thread. I think Jake found a link the other day that the film was uh, tracking it possibly over a hundred million for opening weekend. Um, to be honest with you, I have absolutely no idea. Um, I think well, that you, this go you, you, got, I you got uncharted. <laughs> you, you, you won with uncharted. I'm going to go with, I'm feeling like 97 million on this specific. And I, like the other day I said 130, and then I and then I started thinking about it a little more and I was like, okay, all right, hold on a second. It's really dark. Um, it's long, and it is doesn't really have the kid angle mm. on it, I don't think. And I and I, I do feel that parents are gonna read reviews for it, and a lot of reviews are gonna talk about the dark nature of it, and I don't know if that's gonna you know, maybe parents are going to go see it first. I mean, at the end of the day, when I saw The Dark Knight, Nolan's Dark Knight, that felt like an R-rated movie. That felt like heat. Um, and so Reeves's film feels like an R-rated Zodiac or, or Seven. So I don't know tonally, uh, even if the previews uh, would, would uh, parents would see that and go, oh, that's a little heavy. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go 97. That's where I'm feeling. I am going to go to the number that you were floating earlier, which is 130. Okay. I think it's I think it's going to do extremely well. Yeah. Um, I think that while everything that you just brought up is correct and I don't see, you know, families or kids supporting it, I think that the popularity of this character is through the roof. And I think Huge. even the people yeah. who who are online talking about how much they hate it and, and maybe support another version of it, they're still going. Mm-hmm. And and I do think all I know is when I came out of that movie, and we'll talk about this in the review a little bit later, I immediately wanted to go see it again. Now, I saw it at a press screening and had to wait. But if you see it on Friday night and you love it, you can go back on Sunday. <laughs> and I don't True. think I don't think a lot of people there are going to be some people who honestly do want to do that. So I think this is going to be one of those movies where like No Way Home did two hundred and sixty million dollars. 
you know, if can Batman do half of that? Yeah, I think Batman can do half of that. And it's an interesting point. Weirdly enough, though, if you, and this this is a this is only based on pure feeling. So when No Way Home was coming out, think about the week leading up to No Way Home mm-hmm. and then think about the week leading up to the Batman. They're definitely both very hyped, but there's a very gigantic difference in terms of the hype for both of those movies. And I'm not saying that Batman doesn't have hype. It definitely does. Sure. But No Way Home was in, a, in an astronomical different category. Like it was yeah. it, there, there was a, a sense beyond for that film. No pun intended. Like that was genuinely like the, you had to see that movie. You had to see it in theaters. You know, the build up, the possibility of Andrew and Toby. Um with, yeah, with this movie, there's big. really not anything crazy spoiler that I feel like right. people would like. Is there anything in the Batman that people are waiting to find out? Yes. No. Oh, you think? What? I'm not going to well, say I it. I can't say no, it. No, no, yeah. I mean, like, no. I mean, no, that, I don't think that's a spoiler question. There, is there, there, is anything... a, there is a question that everyone, a lot of people have asked me. I don't know what that question is. OK, do you mean to say it? And then and then if we need to cut it out, we can cut it well, out. Let's clarify that, that we're not giving anything not, away. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not just, answering the question, but everyone has come up to me and asked one question, which is, does the Joker show up? Okay. Yeah, I can Th- see Then we'll that. leave it at that. And that's that a legit a question. question. Yeah. yeah. It's not a spoiler because it's not a spoiler to ask that question because no, even no, when no. you were talking to um, yeah. Joaquin I'm Phoenix. I'm talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. For Joker, we were like, oh, is Batman going to yeah, be Yeah, it is Batman. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Right. Yep, but yep, 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 I assume yep, you're saying that's not like on the level of Toby or Andrew showing. Up. No. Sure. I, I totally. Yeah, I understand that. OK, so Kevin's at 97. I'm at 130 million. Jake, where are you for opening weekend? You know, I think I'm going to split the difference and say 115. I mean, the reviews okay. are really solid. We haven't even gotten to ours yet. But but and granted, not that this is the, the, the be all end all of of things, but really positive word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I do think, yes, Spider-Man is a little bit more family friendly. And I think it also mm-hmm. had the benefit of coming out during the holidays when like things were kind of like people's like work lives and school lives were kind of starting to slow down. So they had a little bit more free time and, and, um, so I think they had that going for, I think we're still very much and you know, people are back at work, people are back at school. Um, I, I think if it opens, anywhere close to 100 million or anything over you've got to be astronomically happy with that if you're warner brothers yeah, i mean I you've got, it's, it's a million, first time 100 million for a three hour sense. dark first time batman that's that's yeah. more film noir than than action yeah. blockbuster be mm-hmm. happy with take that to the bank i think we're all in that 100 million dollar camp now i found this really interesting so i was looking at rotten tomatoes just now and we'll dive into our reviews later in the show but batman currently has an 87 percent um, Jackass Forever has an eighty six percent. Just want to give that okay. perspective for a second. Okay. Um, you know the, the best thing I will movie. say, yeah, it is a good movie. The best thing that Batman has going for it is is not even so much that it could open huge. It's really got no competition for the right. month of March. It, oh, yeah. it it has the opportunity to own March. So even if it opens at you know a hundred million dollars this weekend. Weekend two could be a sixty million dollar weekend. Sure, which right. you know, oh, like yeah. it's, it's so like it's got it's got nothing but but leg I mean, potential moving forward. This is a legacy character. This is a yeah. huge character. There's, no, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, people are going to go see a new Batman movie. There's no there's no question. Um, but I mean, the question then becomes, when we'll get into the review, is when does a Batman film become too dark? Like I read an article today about like just like the, how dark this character has like become over the years. Obviously, with Nolan's films and. Um, Snyder and and uh, it's just gotten darker. I mean, this movie is like 
<laughs> this movie's on is very dark, like really and, dark. But it doesn't. It still doesn't answer the question if he's wearing hockey pads or not. I know. That's the spoiler question. That. Hey, guys, yeah, I don't mean to, I don't mean to take the uh, the conversation off the rails, but this has now become a, 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 a bit for the show now. Uh, we now have another cast member joining Oppenheimer. Oh, <laughs> wait, wait, Jake, missed, save it. Oh, you got to save it. You got to save it. Yeah. Did you I, see it? We, could, no, I didn't see it. But we do the Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer cast uh, update after the ad break. Oh, excuse so me. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. How and then I? we'll get to Mr. Nolan's uh, expanding <laughs> cast. On the other Spoiler, side, it's Kevin. Kevin has joined the cast. There's two new ones that since uh, since we last uh, did our show, we, we uh, every week we're going to give you guys a little. Uh, is it wait? Is one of them this guy? It tastes of the one that you're talking about that came out today, and then there's another one that came out a couple days ago. Okay. On the other side of the break, we'll update you on the Oppenheimer cast. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, as promised, Jake is about to update us on the latest edition additions uh, to Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer cast. Sooner or later, the three of us are going to get cast in yep. it. I'm waiting for that day to or come. Or we're going to be the only ones that aren't. <laughs> <laughs> but today it is. It's Jason Clark. Jason Clark has been added to the oh, cast of Oppenheimer. Oh, interesting. But isn't it strange? I mean, at this point, though, you have to imagine there are only so many like lead characters. So it's going to be a point where like we're seeing all these big names, but I feel like each at a certain point, these guys are only going to be in the movie for like maybe five or ten minutes. Like it not every single one of these people can be a lead in this movie. I mean, Uh, it could be it could be ten hours long. It's Nolan, man. In Nolan, (laughs) we trust, man. Yes. Uh, Who was the Uh, other name that you heard, Kev? You heard uh, a second name? I don't think this name was on our list last week, but David Dasmachian from. um, No, he was from Dark Knight. He got added yeah. after the fact. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is cool because he posted on his Instagram that uh, he auditioned for Dark Knight in Chicago like years ago. And obviously he had a memorable role in the Dark Knight. It was small, but it was memorable. I mean, like like that, that, that was probably his face was so like the David's face is so interesting 
um, as an actor. But like even in that world of Batman, it, it was even more interesting to play with in terms of like what his character was dealing with and what he was do- what he was doing. But now that he's kind of like taking on a, a, a bigger role, hopefully in Oppenheimer, he's an amazing actor. And obviously he was great yeah. in Suicide Squad recently. And um, he's great in Dune. I mean, this guy is like living the, the crazy. I can see awesome, him being like the like, next great character actor. He yeah. is a comic book junkie, too. Like yeah. every time he does interviews, every time a new project rolls around, he was an Ant-Man, obviously, the Ant-Man mm-hmm. franchise. Um, he's a junk. He loves it. He loves that stuff. So yeah. I'm I'm so happy for him because he keeps getting great roles. Um, he's just a, I, I, I just love how like he's such an interesting actor. Like he really when he's on screen, there's a presence of it to him that I just love. He's phenomenal. Absolutely. Um, OK, let's get to the the SAG Awards, which just were handed out on Sunday. So it's Tuesday when we're recording this, <clears throat> but Friday when you're all listening to it. Uh, so the SAG Awards were the previous week. And we want to talk about if they shape the Oscar race and how so. And interestingly enough, I think that um, two of the winners feel like they are locked in. And that would be Will Smith and Ariana DeBose. Um, Ariana DeBose. Yes, those two seem like the ones who they've been front runners in their category, getting a nod from the Screen yeah. Actors Guild, which is the actor's body. And that's the same body that votes for the for the Oscars, um, puts them in the in in stronger status. The one that shocked me uh, coming out of this was the supporting actor race, because the person who I thought would be the front runner, which would be Cody Smith McPhee for his uh, performance in Power of the Dog. And he ends up losing to uh, Troy Kotzer for Coda. Um, and then. Coda wins best ensemble. Mm-hmm. So now it it wasn't competing against Power of the Dog. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was a little bit, I guess I'm surprised. I didn't realize that Power of the Dog wasn't a SAG ensemble yeah. nomina- uh, nomination. So, um, and of course there were only five and there's 10 for best picture. So best picture could check out in a totally different way. Um, but Coda winning completely surprised me. I did not stay up to watch the show. Uh, got up Monday morning and checked the results and was stunned to find out uh, that Coda, and not that I don't think it deserves it. I think it absolutely deserves it. But it's fantastic to see it getting the recognition that it deserved. Were there any uh, big time shocks coming Jessica out of it? Jessica Chastain. Chastain? Yeah. That, I mean, okay. but that race is the most up in the it, it, Honestly, it doesn't matter really who won that category that night. I felt like it would have been there was a part. And I, I, I wanted Chastain to win. But there was a part of me that kind of wanted Gaga to win just to like throw the whole race up. Because you guys know that none of the five Oscar nominees and best actress are nominated for BAFTA. So BAFTA, a BAFTA win isn't going to help. That's not okay. going to help clear things up. That it's the most nuts that that category has been in in years. Um, so I'm very curious to see what's what's going to happen there. I also I mean, love the Coda. The Coda win was great too because oh, I yes. feel like I'm kind of in this weird boat now where I uh, no pun intended because the movie's about fish uh, fishing. Well, the characters are on fishing boats. Um, but I, I I kind of I kind of want to see this movie win now. Um, yeah. I feel like it. Like it, it's such Can a it great though? film. Um, I mean, Power of the Dog is obviously still i believe considered to be the front runner yeah to win. well i mean i, th- I think um, the problem is, is that and i get that these sort of these sort of rules are made to be broken but like and, and i get what you're saying i i i'd be curious to see if this affects critics choice voting which the three of us are members of if like maybe more people are willing to go hmm that's interesting but like coda not having director editing really any mm. kind of technical nomination it's only got three best picture um screenplay and supporting actor and it just and now granted, it's very possible it goes three for three and then, you know, OK, yeah. but I but just these feel are like, the awards that you want to win right now. Right. They're the yeah, ones oh, that 100 percent as like we're a, all starting to vote now. Right. This momentum. Yeah. Yes, like the yeah. momentum like Coda. Coda has that like 
I don't know. I feel it. I feel a good vibe with it. I was happy to see it win. It was a great story that it won. Um, it was historical that it won. Uh, yep. Troy's speech was incredible. Mm. Um, you know, speeches that, are a bit. You're you're spot on. That speeches can can make someone right now. Yeah. You get but up like, there tr- and you make an impassioned yeah. speech, like in, in in like a SAG or a Golden Globes or something like that, and the, and the speech goes viral. Like Will Smith's speech for the SAG. Whenever he yeah. was up there, I was like, oh, that's done. He just won the Oscar right. yeah, with that speech. One, the one thing he said in that, and Will Smith said in the speech, which I thought was fascinating, he kind of gave away the idea that the movie had to get final approval mm-hmm. from Venus and Serena, or the Serena, uh, for, from the Williams sisters. Um, well, no, he said that he said they wouldn't put their name on it unless... Until... Yeah, until right, they saw right, it. I mean, the movie was right. already going to happen, but they wouldn't come out and support it unless they approved mm-hmm. it. Which makes which sense. Which was interesting, because they cut to... They cut to the table and you yeah. saw like a bit of a, almost like an embarrassed reaction. Like, 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 oh, like, like we weren't supposed to tell people that. Like, because, oh, see, like see, I didn't read it that I read uh, it. Like, as read like, it that da- I read it as like, damn right. I'm, we're not going to let you tell oh, our father's okay. story. Yeah, I read that as like, a, like something they were proud of. Oh, no, no. I'm not saying they weren't proud of it. Yeah. I thought that maybe the way I read that moment was that like it. Ba- Will Smith basically said, we're not going to put our name. They're not going to put your names on it unless you approve what we made. Sure, um, right. And I don't know. I don't know that he I don't know that. They wanted that out there. I mean, I, 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 I didn't. I, I never saw that like in print or in any of his interviews. But like that mm. makes sense to me. That's not something that yeah. like super surprises. Like honestly, I feel like I would do the same thing. Like I'm not gonna. Like I tell you what, you make the movie about my dad. I'll watch it, and yeah. if if I approve of of how you painted him, then I will. Yeah. Uh, sure, I'll get out and promote it. But I'm not gonna do it if I mean that that doesn't seem out of the ordinary to me. Oh no, it's not out of the ordinary. I just thought it was cool. There's a photo that stemmed from that win, uh, which, you know, sometimes you see like a, a random shot of people all together and you be like, oh, that's a Renaissance painting. That's the commentary yeah. because there's so much weird yeah. stuff. Going Hang on. in the Louvre. It was Will Smith, Meryl Streep, uh, Lin-Manuel mm. Miranda and Venus Williams. Yeah. <laughs> just the four of them together. Yeah. And I mean, you'd kill to have a photograph with any of those yeah. people and the four of them just randomly hanging yeah. out was was really, really funny. Um, you know, the one thing about Coda, too, before we move on, is that, um, you know, this is the. We talk about this all the time. You don't want to be the front runner so early, right? Mm-hmm. So people are being told the whole time, like, oh, it's Power of the Dog, oh, it's Power of the Dog. And what if you're iffy about Power of the Dog and Coda wins SAG and you haven't watched it yet, right? Mm-hmm. So you go, oh, all right. Wow, that actually won. Let me throw mm-hmm. it on. And then right now, as you were saying around the voting time, you go, oh, this is better. This now, is good. It's because I'm finding, are you finding a now. lot of people are watching it right now? I'm finding like a lot of people in my newsroom oh, yeah. are coming up to me going, My bosses have watched uh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But they're but, watching it right now because, right. like Sean said, everyone's talking about it right now. Like, forget the fact that we were talking about it in August. Now yeah, right. is the time where, like, not like quote unquote, the average moviegoer is, is finding it on Apple TV. You know what's interesting, too? You just said something about speeches, and it's, I kind of like the way this season has shook out and that we didn't have a Globes. Mm-hmm. And the um, critics choice has been pushed back. So we haven't mm-hmm. seen sometimes you get to the Oscars and you feel like the person has yeah. given the same speech seven yeah. times. And we haven't had to see like this is Will Smith's first time, yeah. honestly, yeah. standing up and taking an award on yeah. a telecast. Isn't that wasn't so. that kind of weird? Like to think that like we've never seen Will Smith accept an award right. like yeah. that before in his yeah. entire career. Yep. Do you ever I wonder know. like it's funny you bring up something interesting that I've always actually been curious about. Um like so, let's let's say somebody has like a, a long uh, awards run. They win yeah. everything, right? BAFTA, mm-hmm. SAG. They win the Globe. They win the Oscar. Yeah. Um. Do you think there's some kind of like 
sit down before all the award season starts and says, all right, we're going to save this piece of information for this speech. Well, I think they get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, like, remember, like that, but if you don't, win, if you don't win the Oscar, if you don't yeah. win the Oscar, though, and, I mean, you, that's had, and the, you left and you held on to the best thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you haven't given that part of your speech yet. I mean, that's the that's, that's the risk. You, that's it. But I, I remember remember when Brad Pitt went on his run for Hollywood all of it remember all of his speeches were incredible yeah um and then it came out i think i think it came out that like fincher was helping him with his speeches <laughs> that's, 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 that's why they were so that's why they were so incredible there was but a I, comedian I, 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 just yeah. recently i'm sorry who said that he like he got hired by ben stiller when ben stiller was making the the talk circuit uh like the le, the um not letterman god that's how yeah. dated i am uh and he was just writing interesting stories for him yeah. like ben would tell a, a story from his past and this guy would sort of punch it up yeah. and then ben had that to tell i guarantee that happens yeah. for the awards. someone told Absolutely. me the other day another person who does what we do and, and does the junket someone told me that they were doing an interview and a person started to tell the story and then like 10 seconds into the story pauses and goes ah no i'm gonna save that for graham norton <laughs> really yeah that's pretty yeah. funny yeah I, wow i've had moments where like i've done an interview with somebody and they have they've given me something really good and then like i'll be under embargo and then i'll see the story on yeah. or like, you see Fallon. like a better punched up version of it right. like i like there have been times where like someone told me a story and then i see them on fallon and they tell the same story but they just tell it so much yeah. better to fallon than they animated, do me. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like they care like, again like it, yeah. it's interesting we work in a very weird business like i, I um i interviewed uh uh jennifer garner and mark ruffalo the other day for adam project and they were telling me a great story about 13 going on 30 and but we have to hold our interviews until Monday, Monday, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And so now I'm like, OK, they're probably going to tell this story to 25 mm-hmm. people between now sure. and yeah. Monday. Yeah, because they've got <laughs> like, the red carpet and they've yeah. got the, the national show. OK, let me ask you guys something. Do you think now we're going down a self-serving role, road? It's do okay. you guys think and I, I think the answer is yes to this question before I even ask it. Do you guys think that like producers for the late night shows do a deep dive on our stuff to try oh. to find? Because there have been oh. there have been times where like. I've watched your interview, Sean, or your interview, Kevin, or even my interview or, or other people's interviews. And we've gotten like a really good like nugget. I'm like, oh, my God, that's such a great little piece. And then yeah. the a late night host will almost bring up that specific yeah, thing that's happened. where right. I just go like, did your producers like see that in my interview surprised. or in Kevin's interview? Or, you know, like just, I mean, that's sure. I mean, I, I guess they, they I'd imagine even they got teams intern, of people, you know, even an intern. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, what I, I, say. I, don't, I don't think that like says. Fallon or Kimmel is looking at my stuff, but I think they've got right. teams of people whose job well, is to go look up to. Yeah, because Lord, forbid, why would they come up with their own interviews? They're only they, they yeah. only get 20 minutes on a national stage. Why would they come up with their own questions? <laughs> well, but that's the thing. They're doing it every single day with different people. There's no way they can keep track of. I'm sorry. What do uh, we do? They have to keep track. Eh, cool. We don't do it like not the not the not on that level. It is kind of insane to think about like when they have like the three guests they a night. To? Yeah. Sure. And then like and then it's not like it's live to tape. I'm not, no, 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 we're not, we're yeah, not yeah, saying yeah. it's not. We're not saying we, what yeah. we do is not hard. I'm just saying. But that is a that is an interesting gig. Like you can't mm-hmm. watch everything. There's no way you can watch everything. There's no way. People are prepping stuff for you. They have to be. There's just it's impossible. There's no way we can barely keep straight. Like the other day on Monday. And I I think people like hearing this behind the scenes stuff. I think it's interesting. Um, On Monday, uh, yesterday, uh, actually, um, Jake and I and Sean, I think we all had like four different projects we were covering. So on Mm -hmm. my desk, I have like 
my Sam Jackson notes. I have my yeah. Adam Project notes. I have my fresh notes. And then I have my Sean Le- Levy yeah. notes for Adam Project. And then like I'm sitting there interviewing Samuel Jackson on my computer and I'm thinking to myself, OK, what am I going to ask uh, Ryan Reynolds yeah. tomorrow? And mm-hmm. I, it is. And again, there's no complaints. I'm not digging ditches. I, I, you no, know, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm very happy with what I do for a living. But it is like I don't think people really realize how like the juggling sometimes it's kind of insane. And that's why I don't it kind of makes me appreciate the late night guys, because that is crazy. Like like like, like two major A-list guests five nights a week each night, plus a music act. And um, I think you can notice the, the interviews when they are reading questions that were handed to them, too. I, yeah, I think you can get a sense of, you know, well, the one the one thing I don't like about late night sometimes is I'll watch like Fallon or somebody doing an interview. And, I, and I'm not knocking anybody. I actually like Fallon. I like I, love I don't Kimmel's, like Fallon. I love Kimmel. Um, I don't like the I, Fallon bit he does where he gets actors to slide phrases into other people's oh, junket yeah, interviews. I, know, I think I that know. is unbelievably disrespectful. And I hate that he does that. And as someone who does interviews, I didn't even know he, that was a thing. He, he, he it's yeah. a thing that he like gets actors to like, Hey, while you're doing press for your movie, say something about like buttermilk, like work buttermilk into your interview. And then they'll do a montage of them yeah. doing junkets with all of us saying, Oh yeah, you know, I had a glass of buttermilk the other day. And it's just like that I think is the <laughs> most unbelievably disrespectful. It's like, dude, yeah, you yeah, get yeah, 20 yeah. minutes with these people on a national stage. We get four minutes and like to like make the most out of for our livelihood and you're going to take up our time i think that is right. unbelievably disrespectful and i hate fallon that he does that well i mean okay all right well that aside um my only thing that i don't <laughs> like about late night sometimes is that you can tell the story is that they that they already know what they're going to talk about yeah like you'll 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 see somebody like like they'll like bring up a mm. topic that is clearly like a serve to sure. okay we've already discussed this and i get it and that's just how it is i mean but like we all operate in different realms and right. different yeah. areas it's, it's, it's the just, same way I, sometimes i find people are disappointed when i explain the junket process to them like yeah. i think people really do think sometimes that we are friends with a lot of these people <laughs> and we sit down yeah. in a room and just catch up and talk yeah. and i'm like no i'm one of like 80 why did you leave after four minutes jake yeah, oh, that's my favorite that so that's rude. my favorite when someone comments <laughs> on a junket interview that's like why didn't you talk to them longer and why did you get up and walk out at the end i'm like that's yeah, just yeah, yeah. that's because yeah. i chose it they offered me 30 minutes with tom hanks but i, I said no four is enough Gabe is listening. Gabe is listening to this uh, show after the fact, and he his arm is twirling. twirling. <laughs> I, oh my god! I forgot that we're, we probably should move on. But I He's, find this interesting. I, I think it's sure. interesting. I honestly want people to tell us if that last ten minutes or so oh, was sure. interesting to you. If it wasn't, it's definitely interesting. Let us let us know. Tweet us. All right. This week in movies, uh, Drive My Car is hitting HBO Max. The uh, the acclaimed Drive My Car. And uh, Kev, I'll take the bullet for you as well, too. Haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Have you well, watched no. it? So I have the screener. I'm watching it. It comes, this on, it comes on HBO Max tomorrow. Yep. Yes, and I'm going to watch it. Uh, so yes, I have a screener for it. And I didn't want to like like what for people out there. This is minutia, but we'll get sent links sometimes. And what we'll have to do to watch the movie is either watch it on the computer, which I don't really prefer, because, again, this is. I'm not trying to complain. It's just more of like a viewing experience and giving the film the the, the respect it deserves. That. Yeah, exactly. And so when you when you when you airplay these to your TV, it's usually yeah, condenses it's the great. aspect ratio or it's like it it's buffering. So when I found out it was coming on HBO Max this weekend, I literally said, OK, I'm going to make a point to watch it. And, and, and I will say this. And, and we are a movie show. 
I do feel like we we all should have seen this movie, and I'm I, I'm sure. I'm Agreed. haven't seen it either. Um, but one thing we explained on the podcast when the Oscar nominations came out is this: there are always one or two films that come out of the nominations that we had not been exposed to or had a, had, had you know had worked on or covered um and you know but in this particular situation i wish i had seen drive my car prior to the nominations but we're gonna watch this weekend and, and actually the good news is none of us have voted for the cca yet yeah so we're all gonna be um in line with the voting by the time that comes around because we're all gonna watch it okay so, so. uh fresh is dropping on hulu and i'm going to take a cue from jake and not tell you guys any details about this um, but I will say that it is um, highly original and has a lot of really interesting things to say about modern dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> it's just so hard. I don't want to give anything away. From, from, the, 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 the closest the comparison chance, is like a, like a from dusk till dawn. Like, wouldn't you have loved to watch from dusk till dawn? Not saying there are vampires in it because there aren't vampires in it. But right. like, wouldn't you have loved to watch from dusk till dawn? Not knowing what it was about. And if and if you answer yes to that question, then don't look up what Fresh is about. Correct. Just press play on it. Um, it stars Sebastian Stan and Daisy, uh, whose name is escaping me. Um, it's, um, but I'll tell you, she's from Normal People. She's amazing. Um, let me look okay. her up. I, I do want to get her. I want to get her. Is, Daisy Edgar she, Jones. Thank you very much. Um, she's she terrific was, in this. Yeah. And she's also from Normal People, uh, which had uh, Paul, who is actually in The Lost Daughter, who we all interviewed for The Lost Daughter. Um, right. That show is available on Hulu. Um, I haven't seen the whole thing, but from what I've seen of it, uh, it's pretty amazing. So and she's a really highly, great actor. Do we all highly recommend Fresh? I highly recommend. Fresh. Yeah, yeah. I really, really loved the first like, two acts. I honestly okay. think it went a little off the rails for me in the last act. It didn't it, okay. it didn't. I don't want to say it ended on a down note, but I, I it didn't. And there was a point where I was like, oh, my God, I love this movie. And then by the end of it, I was just sort of like, OK, I, I liked that quite a bit. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. but still, like, 100 percent absolutely recommend recommend it for sure. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely like I told we had Mimi Cave on and she'll be part of a bonus episode or, or um, I believe she's our um, interview next week. So people okay, have a so, chance to go to watch fresh on Hulu this weekend and prep for. Her, our interview with her dropping next week. Cool. So Mimi Cave directorial debut uh, interview next week on Real Blend. Um, I liked it too. I thought it was it was it was interesting. Gave me American Psycho vibes, um, and I love mm-hmm. American Psycho. Uh, and she she does strike a really interesting tone. Um, if you do watch the movie and you're curious about um, how they made the food look the way it did, um, well, you can tune into our interview next week because there's some pretty yeah, wicked it's stuff. It's a great they answer. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to the, the the big one. The big dog of the week. Um, Matt Reeves's film, The Batman. Uh, Jake, I'm going to throw it to you to start. Uh, how do you feel about how Matt Reeves uh, reinvented this character uh, and his world for the three hour uh, feast that is The Batman? Uh, I really loved it. I mean, I think we're at a point now where because we have gotten so many different Batman films and, and interpretations of not just the character, but the city of Gotham and, and obviously his iconic villains, that my my first and foremost question going into a Batman film is, is this an interpretation that I've never seen before? Um, and, and I think this absolutely is the, the way I've been comparing it. Kevin said it perfectly. It's it's one third uh, Fincher's Zodiac or Fincher's seven. Uh, it's one third French connection. And it's one third of Batman film. Um, I, I it's not what it is. Not is the big extra action extravaganza of, of Nolan. It's much more a detective film noir with spurts of action throughout. 
but there's long periods of time where there there is no action. Now, there's a lot of Batman, but it's Batman in these quiet film noir moments. Um, I really loved this vibe. I really loved this feel. It felt like even though it's a character that I've that's been a part of my life since I've been aware of of pop culture in my consciousness, but I've never really felt like I've seen him presented this way um every angle of it i just thought oh that's a cool choice i liked i liked that um and it's also a movie that i think is um i think a lot of people are going to walk out of the theater not entirely sure how they feel about it Hmm. and i i because i i feel like it's a movie that's going to grow and grow because honestly the more i think about it the more i know i loved it walking out but the more i think about it the more i do like it um Hmm. You know, it, the, the question that I hate is like, oh, how does it compare to, to Nolan's films? And it's just like, well, they're different animals. Like, yes, they're both Batman. And and I think Nolan's movies are probably a bit more accessible, easier. They would be more casual for me to like throw on, you know, on a Saturday afternoon if I wanted to like just watch, you know, a little bit, of, a little bit of Batman. But I could see myself like preparing to watch the Batman on a Friday night, like on Monday, go, OK, Friday night, I'm going to pour whiskey <laughs> And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch the Batman like that. Like you got to like prepare yourself for it because it's it's a lot. It is a lot of movie. It is so much movie. Like that's the thing. So much movie. It It is so so much much movie. I hope that made sense. I hope that. I hope my ramble made sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And what I think, one of the reasons why I love it um, as much as Jake does is that it's the interpretation of Gotham to me is just as fascinating as as we've seen on screen before. Because I think Matt Reeves is interested in all of the different avenues that the movie can go down. So um, when it would detour and spend time with uh, Colin Farrell's uh, Penguin. Or uh, Carmine Falcone, played by the great John Turturro, or, or got into some of the back and forth between um, Arthur, played by Andy Serkis, and and Robert Pattinson's Batman. I was enthralled. It didn't matter where it went. I was I was interested in where it was going because I thought each of the different threads that he picked up and pulled uh, were really really fascinating. What blows my mind is that this is a character who over the years has um, sustained adaptations and translations from so many different filmmakers, mm-hmm. uh, and they find new ways in like mm-hmm. th- you're exactly right in the fact that nolan's films are a completely different animal um that every single interpretation of batman so far has been different burton's yeah. has been different from schumacher's and schumacher's has been different than nolan's and nolan is different than snyder and now snyder's different from from reeves and and i think th- each of them have something really really great about yeah. them even um, schumacher's it, like their aspect of yeah. schumacher's batman i really yeah. enjoy for yeah. sure. Definitely. Um, so I'm blown away that, that we can go into a project like this. Like I made a, a comment and someone called me on it, too, when I posted something positive about the Batman of like I said, I think we're getting close to a point of Batman oversaturation. Like there's so much of this character. And yet for three hours, I was riveted by what I was watching. And so um, and I went back. I went back. I had an opportunity to go see it at another press screening here in Charlotte. And that was what well, you've seen it hours. twice. I've seen it twice. Wow. And uh by the end of the second time, I was like, all right, that's enough. I'm done. <laughs> now I got everything I wanted to get out of it because um, it's long. It's definitely long. It's a sit. Um, but the first time through, I was completely riveted in every aspect of it. And the second time through, it's weird. The second time through, I did see some of the seams um, and places where and I think a lot of this is due to um, COVID and the way COVID hit that production. They had to shut down for a while when they did get back up and running. They were limited in the number of things mm-hmm. that they could do. Um, and so I can't talk about some of the specifics without spoilers, but there are definitely scenes that I watch where I'm just like, oh, I think you were cheated a little bit here to get where you needed to get sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And would he have shot it differently if he had the opportunity? Interesting. To be, 
maybe blow it out. But um, but I yeah, I loved it. And I think Matt Reeves is ter- and I really I, I can't wait to see where he goes with this. I hope he continues to, to make, you know, one or two more movies uh, in this franchise, because I really want to see where he's going with it. Kev, where are you at? Yeah, so it, this is a, this is an interesting film for me to talk about because like like uh, Sean and Jake are both on the love it side. I'm more on the really like it side, like it which side is of totally fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, totally fine. I, I, but, but I say that not not in like just because the internet is so like oh if you yeah. don't give it a, a six out of five then you right. hated it. And that was the thing I, when the social reactions came out yesterday. Like I knew that I was sitting on like a four out of five um, for the film. I knew I didn't like. I knew I didn't like blown away love it, but I knew that I liked a lot of it and I loved some of it. Um, and so like I prefaced my review by saying like, listen, like we live in a day and age where where if you just like a movie these days, you somehow hate that film. And I think that we are. Uh, I don't really like where we are right now in terms of like film Twitter and culture, like in terms of that, in the sense of like everything has to be the best thing of all time or the worst thing of all time, better than this, better than that. Um, if you come out the gate with the greatest Batman movie of all time, like, you know, there, I feel like we need to, we need to, I mean, and I'm guilty of like, I, I am a very exaggerated individual. I, I, I am very over the top with, with, you know, cause I'm, I, I'm, I get excited. I'm an excited person. So when I see something that blows my mind, I am going to be like full force, like Dune blew me away and I was all into it. Um, but at the same time, there is some times where you want to sit back and think about it and scale it back and actually just kind of like, uh, you know, break it down a bit. Now, with Batman, I there's a lot that I love. I'll start off with what I love and then I'll go into what I didn't love. Um, what I love about it is Greg Frazier and Michael Giacchino. Oh, um, oh my God. Some of the greatest Batman shots of all time. Yeah, Frazier. I don't think that's uh, an exaggeration. Yeah, Frazier's cinematography is absolutely astounding. Oh. Um, I think the Batmobile chase uh, on the highway at night with the rain with Penguin is outstanding. One of the best Batman scenes ever created. Michael Giacchino delivers one of the greatest scores of his career. I mean, this score is outstanding. It is a it is a living, breathing character in this film. It is it is really the the to me, the driving force emotionally outside of the performances. It really is something that is ingrained in this gritty world and like greg the way he shoots this film it's it's gorgeous it's beautiful it's dark it's gritty it's riveting it's immersive cinema this is truly visceral and immersive filmmaking there's no doubt about that when the film works it really really works like i love the opening every action scene is incredible there even the non-action scenes there are scenes that i really dug my biggest problem with the film is it it feels long. And at the end of the day, the, the, there's a difference between a movie being too long in length or feeling long. Three mm-hmm. hours is not that bad. I mean, Titanic was three and a half hours, whatever it was. Infinity War was 240. Uh, I think uh, Endgame was three something, I want to say, or close to mm-hmm. three. Three, um, I think so, 302 or something like that. Like there's like, OK, Infinity War is an example I'm going to use here. That was like 235, 237, 240, whatever it was. That movie feels like it's 45 minutes long. Yeah. That movie goes by instantaneously. Every scene, there is no fat on that movie whatsoever. It is trimmed down exactly. It is one of the most relentlessly paced and edited films I've ever seen. It's incredible. Um, The Batman does sit in scenes for a long time. Um, And I got to a point where I just got tired of watching Jeffrey Wright reading clues um, over and over again. Um, And at the end of the day, I'm totally cool with the Zodiac and seven thing. It's awesome. It's a great concept. 
but I don't know if you guys could disagree with me on this. This film could lose 30 minutes well, easily. It's be interesting because I, I picked easily. it up on more on the second time through scenes that, that held longer too long and and your criticism about them reading clues and sort of revisiting stuff and i was like it didn't bother me the first time through not a little bit on the yeah. second time through i was like all right i kind of understand what kevin's talking also <laughs> also the script is a little to me a little on the nose um at times uh and again these are very very persnickety nitpicky things that i just i i i, I and again, it's so interesting because if you just cut to this part of the review, you go, oh, this guy hates the movie. No, I really it. like this film a lot. Um, it just doesn't really it just didn't like if I'm looking at Batman, I'm putting Begins, Dark Knight, BVS Ultimate Edition, Zack Snyder's Justice League. And Burton's Batman, maybe Batman Returns over this film. Oh, that's um, interesting. And, I, and I'm not and Batman Returns. I'll take that back. But Keaton's Batman and everything else I mentioned. I prefer. Um, I still think Affleck's the best Batman of all time. Now, I want to say one more thing before we move on. Pattinson's phenomenal. Great casting for Batman. Um, mm. The I'm Vengeance scene was the moment that I realized he was great. I knew he was going to be great. I wanted more Bruce Wayne. It's a very heavy Batman film. Very, mm. very, very heavy Batman film. Um, Paul Dano, phenomenal as the Riddler. Uh, you know, that's the thing. Is like there's so much that I love about this movie, but the overall, I'm just like, it's good. It just it's not the dark night. And I also I, I want to disagree with you guys just one bit um, on Nolan. I don't think Nolan's films are as accessible as you said. Um, I think that at the end of the day, Nolan made heat with Batman. So Reeves made seven and Zodiac with Batman. Um, yes, this is much darker and it lingers a lot more. But I, I think Dark Knight is a crime drama just masked in a Batman film. I mean, it's heat. That movie, the opening of Dark Knight is literally the shootout. In heat. Yeah, it's but the, saying mean, it, that it's it's remind you of a popular action film from 20, 30 years ago doesn't mean it's not. I mean, it had the biggest opening of all time whenever it oh, came out. I'd say that's I'm fairly not, accessible. I'm not saying it's not, I'm not saying it's not, it, money and box office doesn't equal accessibility. I mean, bat, the eh, Batman's good. Well, the, is the, it, if. But if the Batman does 130 million this weekend, would you argue that film is now accessible? I would say that Batman is accessible. Uh, and, this people, and, people, and, people, Batman and people haven't, and people haven't seen the film yet. But I'm asking you, though, do you think Matt Reeves's Batman is an accessible film to general audiences? Uh, I, the, one of the first things I said whenever I got out of the Batman is I'm curious to hear what average moviegoers average batman fans think of it because i think i think our modern generation today when they think of batman they think of a nolan film and this isn't this isn't that this is a you know but also you have to keep in mind that the very first appearance of far from it though no but the i mean but but, i mean the very i think it's actually very i think it's real far i think think nolan tipped tipped the tipped it like nolan was like all right we're going into like real genre filmmaking we're gonna i mean Dark Knight, Batman Begins, we're going to get dark. And then obviously Snyder got really dark and Reeves got darker. That's it's just fascinating, really though. Like, could anybody swing back the other way? Because prior to Nolan, to like, the fun Batman, people forget like the 60s. Batman is what kind of defined the character for generations. Sure. And, 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 a lot of, and with, they would make the argument that they didn't make 
campy, but like they didn't seek out to make a campy Batman. Like to them, right. like it, like that was serious Batman in the 1960s. I, it, Batman's yeah. just a reflection of an era, you know. It's just sort of like you know, I, I, and so it it kind of depends. Hard to say what direction Batman's even going to go in because it depends on what direction the world goes. Well, I in. guess Lego See, Batman was the swing back towards <laughs> sure. That's lighter, fair. Well, lighter. So this Batman. is actually fascinating. This brings me to an interesting point. I actually think that Nolan found the sweet spot. Right. He made a great genre film that played with crime like heat, but he also made a film that was arguably accessible, as Jake was saying, in terms of that, in terms of like being a film that broad audiences could enjoy and be entertained by, Um, you know, that that I would I would argue Nolan found that that balance between blockbuster and genre filmmaking. I really do. I think there's that's why Dark Knight and Batman Begins are so incredible because they play with this concept of, okay, larger audiences are coming to this. Like people who like seven and Zodiac, that's not a ton. I mean, like in our world of film and as much as we love film, you don't walk down the street and ask somebody and they're going to go, I'm a huge seven fan. Like, like like those are some really, really dark films. No, they are. They should be. Fincher's one of the greatest of all time, but the Batman is definitely this one is a lot more less success accessible than well we're going to find sure. out how popular it, it is when sense. the box office comes rolling in and we can talk it's about good. Uh, our predictions it's oh, good it's, it's fantastic wait People where are you guys at in your ratings you guys aren't like 10 out of 10 are you I or mean it's, it's so weird because I, I never really whenever I do ratings I never really do like I never do five uh, like out of five unless I'm with you guys so for me a five out of five is different than a 10 out of 10 in okay. a weird way I'm much more like even like I like I would say five out of five but I wouldn't say 10 out of 10 if that makes any sense like 10 out of 10 sounds it like doesn't make for, any sense. It, I know which is why I don't like the whole like but I do I, find I like this the, fascinating out of, the out of five thing like Sean and I are only a half a point off from each other and Sean yeah. is in is in is in more of a love it camp than I am but what's funny about this movie and I'm finding especially I would in this say discussion I'll take four and a half the discussion we're having right now, I'm finding that we're really not that far off from each other. No. We all really like this film. It's Kevin, just that- you, you do a thing that 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 always makes me laugh every time is like it. It feels like sometimes you get nervous that you don't like a movie enough. Oh, no, no, no. That's and, what I'm saying. And, no, but, no. And, you, and if we like it more than you, you because you, mm. I'm trying to think of the last time you did. You did this thing where you said Green like night. where you were like, I, we're, we're all kind of the same. We're all kind of the same. We're all kind of no. The point I'm making is that like I find that the difference between someone who loves this movie and likes this film it's fascinating that we're only a half a point off from each other. That's what sure. I'm saying is interesting. But ratings are also subjective too. Like Very. you know, like it's all you know, like your four out of five and my four out of five could be completely different things. Yep. In the same way that like ten out of ten to me feels different than a five out of five. I also think like each year you should only have one or two ten out of tens. Right. Like if you have more than that. Which is why it's, I, it's a weird thing. Honestly, I, I always loved the, I, I always loved the star rating, like four stars, because like mm. Ebert Ebert used to throw out four stars all the time. Mm-hmm. Because like, yeah, no, three not and a half to him yeah. was a bad movie. No, <laughs> I will not. Was, I will not stand well, by while you, like, while, like, while, while you besmirch the name of Roger Ebert, sir. He was gracious. That, no, that was a no, running, absolutely that was not. A you running are joke wrong. about Roger Ebert? No, you are you kidding? Roger Ebert is is the best person the to ever put pen to paper when it comes to film criticism. We not are here that. because of Roger. We are we are literally doing a show right now because of Roger Ebert. Like, no, you think he was gracious with his ratings? 
in his in his last five to ten years of film criticism. Yes. In his ah. last five to ten years of film criticism, well, he became softer and so, he, he he more appreciated almost everything he was watching as opposed to being very critical of it. Here's yes. what I would argue. I think Ebert. I think, well, first of all, Roger Ebert's the greatest critic of all time in That's terms of we're like, arguing. It's I, know, not the I, know, I know, I know, I know. But we wouldn't be here doing the show if it wasn't for him. But my, my other point being is that, like, I think Ebert, maybe in his in his older age, got to a point where like and that's the thing about film criticism. Like at the end of the day, I, I don't walk into a film wanting to destroy it or take it down. You know what I mean? Like and, and when do you actually understand the full process behind filmmaking and kind of what goes into it? You know, I, and I'm not giving bad movies a pass, but I, to me, there's always something good you can find in a film. And I, I try to be I you know, there are movies I obviously don't like and I'm going to give bad reviews to. But I also don't. I don't not love the that he got maybe maybe me a little more as you say gracious in terms of like appreciating the art form of a film even if he didn't love the movie he like Eber was brilliant at finding things that made you appreciate the movies more sure. like I would like yeah. his reviews would actually I like that's kind of like how I've always wanted to be as a critic is I want someone to watch my review of the Dark Knight and go. Oh, my God. I remember Kevin not airing the movie, but I want them to watch a shot like the truck flip. And I want them to think in their mind, oh, I heard that that was actually practically done because then it gives you a deeper appreciation for the filmmaking. The whole point of a film critic is really to assist the audience in their journey with that movie. And Ebert did that for me. And like, regardless if he got if, if he got more and more gracious, quote unquote, over the, his career. And we also have to account for like what he was dealing with in the final five right. years of his right, life. Right, right, like if, they, right. if that gave him a, a new life perspective, then he, I mean, yeah, I mad just, about it. Yeah, we are off the rails. Uh, let's no, move on not. to the blend game this week, Great. which is hashtag Ava DuVernay blend. Um, did anyone not pick Selma? I did Jake, not pick please Selma. take it away. Um, I picked when they see us which is okay. an incredible uh, limited series uh, about the Central Park Five. Mm. Um, it's one of those, and this is such a, a, a cliche when you hear this sort of thing, but it, it's one of those things that is horrifying that it happened then, mm. and you watch it, and it took place uh, a while back. Um, what, a couple of, what, two, maybe 15, 20 70s? years ago? No, no, I, th- I, th- I thought it was... I thought it was early 2000 i don't know okay um it's it's terrifying because you could read that headline today Mm -hmm. and wouldn't be surprised um it's it's a horrifying like anxiety inducing uh series that is just the right length Mm -hmm. uh i'm glad that they gave it the time and the respect and the dedication to not try to squeeze it into a 120 minute film. Mm-hmm. Um, every it, it, it tells the story of, of these kids. They were kids and the impact that that this had on them. And it's it's um, it's it's horrifying. And it's but it's so well done and it's so eye opening. It's, it's one of those things that it's, it's I wish we could put it in front of everyone and make them see it um, and and make them realize where this sort of action comes from mm. and this was this isn't just an isolated incident this is you know this this particular incident um became famous and we all know about it and now is is you know it's it's etched in stone because of the work that Ava did uh but it also makes you wonder how many of these happened 
on a daily, weekly basis that we have absolutely no idea about, that no one did, that right. no one made miniseries about. Right. If you've never seen it, uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of work. And honestly, if it ends up being the best thing she's ever done, she should be incredibly proud of that because it is pretty awe-inspiring. Have you raised your hand too? Were you going in a different direction? No, I, I did Selma, and I and you know. And obviously Jake's choice is great as well. Yeah, I also um, love Selma. Like there's no not to take away from Selma. No, not at all. I mean, Selma is just it was it was. It was just powerful is such a, is the word I would use for it. And David Oyelowo just really mm. embodied. I mean, it was an unbelievable performance. Um, and I, I that movie was a was a big moment. It was it was a big deal. And it was and a lot of people saw it and a lot of people were affected by it. And I what I loved about that movie was how differently people viewed it, depending on your life experience, whether or not you lived through certain time periods or not. Everybody came at that film from their own life experience or what they perceived that story to be. Um, and to or me, that's that man, fascinating. To how we perceived that man. Right. And that's mm-hmm. the fascinating thing about cinema is like is we come at these films and these stories and they really can dig, dig you into a deeper dive into someone's life. You know, we've all learned about Martin Luther King Jr. over the years and in, in, in school and everything that we do in terms of like entertainment and media and what, and, and any type of movies or shows that, but when you see a film that is dedicated really to personalizing um, him in a way that I hadn't seen prior. Um, uh, you know, and again, there, this is, we have seen films and, 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 and obviously know a lot about the man um, in, in, in the history books, but there was something that Ava did with this story that kind of really opened it up for me in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And it wasn't that I, obviously I already very much appreciated and, 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 and knew about the story and the history I just feel like the movie kind of gave me an emotional edge to it that I may not have found without Ava's voice. And it's not that she taught me anything new. It was that she gave me a viewpoint into a feeling, an emotional connection to someone that I had read in history. Um, But to see it brought to screen the way Ava did was is particularly special it was a, it was a it was a big movie it was a big moment it was it was it was culturally extremely important and i'm just happy that the movie exists and i think that's obviously that's a that's a legacy film for her that's a film that that will always be with her and and mentioned with her so for sure yeah i mean that's exactly why i picked it as well too kevin in that it's a genre of film that i don't necessarily love because the the standard examples of them either feel like Hollywood. in other people's hands well either uh, it's so dry that it feels like homework mm-hmm. right and you're kind of trudging through it or it has that glimmer that that sheen of artificiality that comes with right you know hollywood and and you can see oh this is fill in the blank famous person trying to be a historical figure yeah and um, win an oscar so david Oyelowo was oh. just uh, he was such a revelation you know he was in him. that part he was him but also, yep. and it's interesting that Jake picked a documentary because I think it speaks to the way Ava uh, has when they say an this eye isn't for a documentary. documentary filmmakers. Oh, it's not. Oh, no. I thought that. Mm-hmm. What was the? Th- she did the thirteen. The 13th? yeah, she, she yeah she did the thirteenth. But when they see us, is is it something? It's different. an actual show. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's an show. actual. But, yeah, yeah. But I think she has an eye for you know that sort of realism that comes with documentary Raw. storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like with Selma, I honestly felt like we were standing in in the place at mm-hmm. the time. You know, like she. 
opened up that door that way. And that's what I think Kevin was getting at in that, you know, it's not that it was teaching you different things, but it, it, it approached it in a way yeah. that is very unique to her. You were and, living and in I it. Almost, I, yeah, but I don't know why she doesn't. I wish she made is, was was a little bit more like um, I wish she had more films. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Maybe she's producing a lot. I, was saying, I think she produces. I think she she to, to quote Jack Lemmon, I think she she sends the elevator back down a lot. Like she, you know, gotcha. she's at a point in her career where I think she is now lifting up other voices um, that need to be heard. Because I think she has such a unique voice and I would love for her to keep going uh, in it with additional features. But I yeah. had to pick Selma because I just remember being so blown away by, yeah. by how that uh, how the movie played out. And the announcement of David Yellow as a, a talent mm-hmm. to pay attention to, because that's like you said, you know, one of the most difficult roles I would assume in, in uh, to be able to try to pull off is Martin Luther King Jr. And he yeah. just he does it seamlessly. What you said is exactly kind of what I was trying to say in all the words I said. It was like Sean put it perfectly was was which is basically is you're sitting in what feels like documentary footage of Martin Luther King Jr. Like yeah. like to a point where like and that, that's I think I, I think I figured out where you're going with that, because when you're watching the film, it's as if you are watching someone's real footage of these real moments. And it's not like mm-hmm. it's like shot jarringly yeah. like a documentary, but like. You almost feel like Ava has transported us to the time, to yeah. the moment, and you're sitting in it and you're watching found footage that has been unearthed after all these years. Um, and you're there and and David is him. And and it's like, whoa, it's like there's a I want to watch it again. Cinema cinema really does in a weird way can help humanize people even more. Um, and I say that because, like, you know, when you think of Martin Luther King Jr., you, you like that's a monumental person, right? Like it's almost as if they're not even a human being. It's like, they're so, they're so ingrained in our culture. Like they're so big, but then when you have a person who plays them and grounds them and -hmm. gives them that like real, real life, that real human experience, that's what David did. I also think to a certain degree, sort of growing up seeing the same black and white footage of someone. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of puts this chasm between Mm -hmm. you and them and to a certain degree, a distance where it makes you forget that they're human beings, that they're people. Mm -hmm. And, And we have to remember that a lot of this stuff didn't happen as long ago as you think, you know, yeah. it's, it's that the, there, you know, um, there was a, a post when Betty white passed away that, um, was that came up that basically was like, Hey, just a reminder, like Martin Luther King, if he were still with us today would be younger than Betty. White. Like, like he should still be with us. And you know, he's of an age where he should still be alive. Sure. And sure. you know, I think these movies kind of have the ability to sort of humanize them in a way that removes that chasm that yep. the same black and white footage that we see over and over again. Not, not that, I mean, it's good. We should have that. It's, that's invaluable footage, but it's a reminder that like, they're more than that clip that you saw in good. sixth grade over and over again. For sure. You forget yeah, they're, you forget they're a person. Yeah. You, re, you yeah. really do. You forget like that person was like a normal person who was just walking through life. It just happened to do this extraordinary, these extraordinary things for next week. Uh, we're going to play hashtag Penny Marshall blend. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, the cool. amazing films of the wonderful Penny Marshall. So make sure you get your choices into us either at realblend at cinemablend.com or use the hashtag hashtag Penny Marshall blend. Um, make sure to drop us a review on Apple podcasts and please leave us a rating on Spotify as well, too. If you leave us a review, we will be able to read it right here. Our next premium episode, which we're going to record right after this, is the 1999 Oscars in review controversial year uh some interesting films that were up for debate at that time and again you can get access to this and all of our episodes of Rebel and premium at cinemablend.com 
backslash RealBlendPremium. You can follow us online all during the week uh, to find out some of the things that we are sharing at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and at RealBlend. Gabe, hope you're enjoying your time off. Sorry we wandered a little bit. Uh, Jeff, I hope you're still with us. No, it's a... It's, <laughs> He's <just> screaming at <laughs> us to rap for an hour. Oppenheimer! Hockey yeah, pads! Sure. Oh my god. QB! Yes! At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.